0: psalm 107 today. Psalm 107 is a a psalm in which kind of rehearses, repeats uh, the redemptive history that God uh, worked with Israel. And so it it somewhat goes through the history of how the people were redeemed out of uh, uh, Egypt. And, uh, And in the psalm itself, there's different strophes or different parts, which tell uh, a kind of repeated cycle that uh, the people uh, went through in terms of their disobedience to God. And uh, so we're going to look just, the, excuse me, the introduction is verses one through three. And then verse 17 and the following, we're going to look at that one section in which the children of Israel are in the wilderness but it talks about this cycle of disobedience and yet God's grace that is repeated throughout the whole psalm. So, I would invite you to listen for the word of God. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. So let the redeemed of the Lord say this. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe those he gathered from the lands from east and west and north and south, now over to 17. Now some people became fools through their own rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for all people. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his wondrous works with songs of joy. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks, and we ask that you direct our hearts and our minds that we might hear your word rightly and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for the Lord is good. It's a great word, good. Good is good. I think sometimes we uh, use too many superlatives. And the superlatives kind of lose their meaning. Good. God is good. Not awesome, the most overused word, perhaps, in our language. Just good. God is good. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, God created the heavens and the earth, and God created light, and it was good. And God created the plants, and it was. And God created the animals, and they were not awesome spectacular, just good. I think we use those superlatives. Somebody comes and they says, they say, you know, you're really awesome. And, and how do you react to that? Either one, no, you don't know what's going on in here, or that word awesome has no meaning at all. But if you go to a person and say, you know, you're a good man. You're a good woman. You're just a good person that'll make a person get weepy sometimes because good is just good and I want to think about that simple message of the gospel the gospel is just good and how it is that God works through us and with us and for us even when we're not so good and to do that I want to look at the kind of cycle that goes through Psalm 107 and how the people become foolish in their disobedience. And so the first part of this sermon, part number one, might be described as how to become a fool. So if you're interested in that, pay attention for the next few minutes. How the people became foolish. So that part of the Psalm that I read, Psalm 17 and following, the children of Israel went into the wilderness. They uh, went through the Red Sea, liberated from Egypt, went into the wilderness, and One of the first things that it seems to happen to the children of Israel when they're in the wilderness is that they become bored. I want to suggest that the first step toward becoming a fool is to become bored. Now, let's be clear on this. Boredom is not the surrounding conditions. Boredom is always an attitude of the soul. It's how you're responding to what's going. So let's look, for example, at what's going on uh, what's happening to the children of Israel as they are in the wilderness. I mean, let's look at it pretty objectively. They're in a tropical place. There's sand. It is an all-inclusive trip. I mean, they got bread, lots of it. They don't even have to cook. They don't have to clean up. It's just provided as much as... They got water. But they're starting to grumble. You know, they don't have those little lemon slices in so they're starting to grumble and complain. They don't even really have to have a deep faith. You want to know where God is? Right there, the pillar of smoke at day, the pillar of fire at night. It's all-inclusive. But what happens? They get bored. Same old dinner, same old water, no little slices in it. And, And when they become bored, first step to foolishness, to become a fool, after they become bored, they start to grumble, second step. They start to grumble. Uh, it's the same old dinner every night, same old water, no little lemon slices, the pews are too hard, it's too hot. If I hear anybody say next week it's too hot, you know, I'll, I won't do that. But <laughs> you know, you just start to grumble. So the boredom is the first step to foolishness. Then you start to grumble. Then the psalm says they became sick, so sick that they couldn't eat. And, of course, that's the literal, what happened in the, uh, in the in, um in their history is that uh, they started grumbling so god sent the quail and they ate so many quail they couldn't eat anymore and they vomited up the quail and such so they literally became sick but perhaps grumbling itself is a kind of sickness so they're bored they start to grumble they become sick so sick that they can't eat so sick that they become near to death the psalm says and then they become desperate they become complete fools Now that's the the decline into foolishness. Now some wisdom hits the children of Israel. As they are desperate, they cry out to the Lord. And as they cry out to the Lord, the Lord hears them. The Lord hears us, not because we have been so good. We haven't been. We're grumbling and complaining. The Lord hears the children of Israel because the Lord is good. And here we have some of those foundational scriptures that all of us should at least have bumping around in our head or memorized. For God so loved the world, John 3:16, that he gave his only son, not because we were good, but because God is good. God gave his only begotten son. Or the passage from Ephesians, for it is by grace that you have been saved, it is by grace that you have been saved, and you receive that through faith, and it's not of your works, lest anybody should boast. It's a gift. It's a gift of God. So the people are grumbling, they become sick, they, they become desperate, they cry out. God hears them. He saves them from their, their desperation. And the one thing that God asks in return is that the people give thanks. The one thing. And what is it that sometimes we neglect to do? I think of the story of Jesus on his way to um, Jerusalem. And he runs into the ten leopards. Remember that story? And they're crying out, have pity on us. They're desperate. Same story, that cycle. And, they, and Jesus heals all 10 of them, says, go to the temple and, and purify yourself. How many of the 10 come back and say thanks? One. 10%. One comes back to say thanks. The one thing that God asks, and he asks this over and over again, is that we give thanks, the response to God for his graciousness to us. So if that's so important, it's so important to give thanks as a way of not going back into that cycle of boredom and, and grumbling and sickness. The act of thanks itself, just the act of thanks, is powerful and keeps us out of that cycle. So let's look at just that act of thanks itself, the act of giving thanks and how it affects our heart and our minds. What happens with, as we're giving thanks? Well, let me suggest several things the first thing that happens in the act of giving thanks, the first thing that happens is humility. Now, we're not humiliating. That's different. God doesn't humiliate us. But humility, because in the act of giving thanks, we know that we who have received are below, are lower than the one who has actually provided so it is humbling, but in a, in a kind of joyful way. So the first thing that happens in the act of giving thanks is humility. The second thing that happens, openness. And if you want to hear an acronym here, you're probably right. <laughs> openness. Because in the act of giving thanks, I mean, think of it the, in the reverse. You don't give thanks this way. Thank you, unless you're like a four-year-old or something like that. <laughs> But if you have any maturity, there's some openness. Thank you. And in the openness, in fact, there's more receptivity. So it's humility and openness. And in the act of being open, in the act of giving thanks, we receive power. Power. Because we are more open to the impouring of the Holy Spirit. So there's humility in the act of giving thanks itself. Humility, openness, power. And we're elevated because what I repeat probably too often is we tend to move in the direction that we're looking. And if you're looking up, you're elevated. So there's hope in the act of giving thanks itself. So the question, it seems to me, becomes, how do we continue to give thanks? How do we continue to give thanks so we don't repeat that downward cycle? Because the reality is, there are going to be times when we're getting bored, even if it doesn't have anything to do with the outside conditions, but the inner attitude of our hearts. So how do we continue to give thanks? Well, let me suggest some things. The first thing is our thinking. Probably you'll hear another acronym developed here. (laughs) The thinking, that if we think about the presence of God, not just an attitude of thankfulness in general, but keep our minds focused on God. Think about God. So we think of all those great passages, especially that St. Paul writes, where we are no longer to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, in Romans 12, or in the book of Philippians. Think upon these things, be not anxious about anything, but think upon these things, whatsoever is pure and right and lovely and noble. So we can direct our thinking more than we think, I think. (laughs) So how do you keep out of that cycle? How do you continue to give thanks? Our thinking, the first thing. The second thing, habit. You get in the habit of giving thanks. What's the one thing that young moms and dads say to the young, young children, especially in the presence of grandparents, more than anything else. What do you say? And the kid says, thank you, (laughs) right? I really love this bright orange homemade sweater where the one sleeve is too long. Thank you. (laughs) And that's right. Can I remind you what I repeat way, way too often? That hypocrisy is not the disjoint between what you think and what you say. That's maturity. That hypocrisy is the disjoint between what you profess and what you actually do. You say thank you. You get in the habit of saying thanks to God. So thinking, habits, attentiveness. If you're in the desert, think of all the blessings. This is an all-inclusive tour. There's the food provided, there's water, there's the presence of God. Be attentive to what God is already providing. Your thinking, the habit of thanksgiving attentiveness to what God is already providing for you, narrative. Let me talk about this one. What's the inner narrative that's going on in your heart and your mind, your inner narrative? So I'm reading an article uh, the other day in a a non-Christian, and it's not about religion or anything. It's just an article, Uh, but it's right to the point, the inner narrative. So what they're talking about in this article is, um, especially in the 1980s at universities, one of the things that they were discovering is that the attrition rate of young African-American women in college was very high, the retention rate was very low. In other words, uh, black women were dropping out of college and universities at a rapid, rapid rate. So they wanted to find out what was going on there. They did all their studies, due diligence, all that. And what they found was one of the key indicators was, what is the inner narrative? And what they found was that for uh, African-American women dropping out of college and universities, the inner narrative was, I don't belong here. And so they started finding all kinds of reasons why they didn't belong, some of them very legitimate. There There was some of that stuff going on. But as soon as they changed that inner narrative, I belong here, I do belong here, the retention rate skyrocketed. You belong. Change that narrative. We belong to God, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. We are purchased, we are owned, we are gods, and nothing can separate us. So give thanks, God is present to us. Our thinking, our habits, attentiveness, the inner narrative, know it. Know that you belong to God. Know that you have been purchased with a price. And in the Bible, as you know, knowing is more than thinking, it's knowing. Adam, knew Eve, that's intimacy. We are known and God loves us. Know that reality. So there's our thinking, our habits, our attentiveness, The narrative in our head, knowing and now an S, because we're giving thanks. The secret. The secret that is shouted in the scripture, but sometimes we miss. The secret is God has a big, 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 big plan. And that big, big plan is detailed. So sometimes it might seem like you're in the desert, but there's a reason. There was a reason why Joseph's creepy brothers threw him in the well and then sold him off to slavery. Maybe they couldn't see that at the time, and certainly Joseph wasn't giving thanks that he was in a well, but you got to know the big, big plan, and that big, big plan God has is detailed, and there's a reason, so give thanks. How in the world could we call Friday good when our Lord, the Lord of life, the Lord of light, is being crucified? It's Good, because God has a big, big plan. And that big, big plan is the salvation of all of us and all the world, and it's detailed. It's happening for a reason. So give thanks. Give thanks that God is operative in your life. Give thanks that even if you've been acting poorly, you can return, and God will save you, and you can give thanks. Give thanks, because God's plan is good. Give thanks because God is working in your life. Give thanks because our Lord Jesus loves you more than you will ever know. And give thanks because this sermon is done. (laughs) Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do give thanks because your plan is good. It's good. It's just good. We give thanks because you love us so and your love is good. It's good. And even though perhaps we haven't been all that good, we cry out to you. We give you thanks because you're already touching us, lifting us, holding us. It's good. We give you thanks, Lord, for you are good. In thy name.